Welcome to The Exchange, a podcast from Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. In this podcast, we examine the world through a grace perspective and connect biblical truth in everyday life. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Exchange Podcast. I'm your host, Nolan Smith. I'm the high school and college pastor here at Grace Church. And this week, I am joined by my fellow youth pastor, Caleb Lavelle. Hey, guys. Welcome, Caleb. Thank you. Caleb is our middle school and high school pastor, so he and I uh, work work alongside each other in the high school ministry. He also oversees middle school. So, Caleb, a couple weeks ago, we did uh, we did a two-part series uh, that you were a part of where we talked about the digital world. Yeah. And, uh, a lot of what we see in our ministry and, and how it affects teenagers. And so today we are we're going to talk about a uh, little less uh, specific in terms of one sort of topic within our our lives. We're going to we're going to zoom out a little bit and talk today about t- the the sort of experience the life that teenagers are are sort of living right mm-hmm. now wh- what the world looks like for them and we're we're focused in on specifically for the sake of parents what it mm-hmm. looks like to to raise our children in a manner that is uh, basically discipleship oriented so mm-hmm. in other words we're talking about you know Grace Church's mission as a church is to raise up mature disciples and so we're focusing that mission in at a a level of parents. Mm-hmm. What does it look like to raise disciples in, as our as we raise our children? And so, you and I have always, and, and Josh as well, have always really wanted in our ministry to equip parents. Yeah, I feel like that's an important part of what we do. And so, that's really the the focus of this conversation is equipping parents. So we're going to talk through. Uh, teenagers' experiences, and then we're going to get into kind of what parents can take away from this and, okay. and and maybe talk about what the goals look like for that. So, But let's start with what it, what life looks like for teenagers right now. I mean, there are some things that teens and every generation have experienced and will right. go through, right. and then there are some things that are obviously very specific to each generation, and, and I think this one in particular. So uh, we're both... We're both student pastors, so let's talk about the world that our students live in, mm-hmm. and let's talk about, uh, you know, as you as best you can tell, what are the sort of biggest aspects of life today for a teenager? Uh, I think it'll differ a little between middle and high school. Okay, you know, I think about middle schoolers, and some of that does carry over from generation to generation. They spend a lot of time at school. Mm-hmm. Spend a lot of time doing schoolwork at home, doing a lot more schoolwork from home nowadays. Yeah, no kidding. Um, they spend a lot of time with their friends. And with middle school, uh, a lot of that time spent with friends is physically mm-hmm. because so many of them don't have social media quite okay. yet. Now, a lot of it is over video games, mm-hmm. things like that. And, and some of the ones that have social media, they still, uh, you know, Snapchat, right. spend time with their friends over that. Right. But um, it's spending time with friends, spending time at school, and they probably spend the majority of their time with their families. Now, I think mm. every uh, family life looks different when they're at the yep. house, right? How much of their time is spent in their room with the door mm. shut? Uh, but they, when I say with families, I guess I mean at the house. In the, yeah, in yeah. the place where the family right, is. Right, right, right. Um, but I do think a big part of that is uh, technology-based, you mm-hmm. know, playing video games, browsing YouTube, uh, doing those things. Oh, yeah, but, for sure. Um, they do spend a lot of time with their friends, mm. you know, physically. I think you see that transition quite a bit in high school when yep. they, number one, when they get a car yeah. and they're more independent, they're going to be going away from home mm-hmm. more often, um, spending time with friends, but they also stay at home. They're almost yeah. all of them, and we talked about this, what, a few weeks ago, majority of them um, have social media. Mm-hmm. If they're if they're at the house, they're still connecting with friends. Right. Um, and so school still plays a big part in their life. A lot of stress from school, um, you know, studying for tests at nights. They, they, right, they right. have that. That carries over from middle school. But I think the social dynamic shifts quite a bit from middle to high school. Yes, so. absolutely. And I, I think you, you touched on this a little bit. But, you know, 
I've both in talking to students and reading the the literature about you know where teenagers are today, I have found that it's it's interesting. You described the shift from middle school to high school being a matter of you know they get their license and then they can have more freedom and they can have, right, have right. more opportunity to like go to friends' houses. But what, interestingly, in a lot of cases, what actually happens is they become less physically connected mm-hmm. and they they tend to almost depend more on the online. And really that is because of what you talked about at the beginning, which is they're getting social media yeah, yeah. more than they had in middle school. So right. in a weird way, it's like they get the license and they can go drive places mm-hmm. and they do take advantage of that. But almost more than that, they're taking advantage of having smartphones and social media and connecting there rather than in the physical you know, uh, which is space. interesting. I think we see now more than it used to be. When I was in high school, as soon as we turned 16, mm-hmm. we were on our way oh, yeah. to get our license. Me too, yeah. We were getting our license the day we turned 16. Mm-hmm. You don't really see that nowadays. People true. wait months, people turn 17. Hey, are you getting your license? Uh, no, not right now. You're so it's right. Just, yeah. They're so, it's, I don't know. They don't care about it quite as I much. Hadn't, I hadn't thought about it, but as you say that, I'm like, I've talked to more students who don't get their license right away than who yeah. do, which is it's crazy to it, me. It's really weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think about too, like at, at, at the middle school level, you know, when I was, I, I was in middle school, um, late, late nineties, early two thousands, which probably sounds really weird to you, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, you know, that was pre social media, um, even pre really high speed internet or a lot of people still didn't have internet at all in their homes at that point. But, you know, we got on our bikes and rode down the street, yeah. and there were there were kids riding bikes up and down the street all over the place in the neighborhood, and that is is I think less and less common now, mm-hmm. where you see the the bikes in neighborhoods and the video game thing. I feel like is so much. Mo- it's almost in some ways replaced that. So you yeah. get on kids are getting on, putting on their headsets and grabbing their controllers, and they're hanging out while playing video games, but, you know, at their own, in their own bedroom. And, and that, that's something that we didn't, I didn't have. I mean, Mm -hmm. you probably, it wasn't as prevalent when you were in in middle school, Mm -hmm. but, um, it's just so normal now that they, they just spend so much time gaming. I mean, video games, we talked about this in the, the episode about the digital world, but video games have been around for a really long time, but the way they, work now and the the way they they almost function as a social media oh for sure is so it's just so different than than when we were growing up so i think you know you touched on school and and certainly that's that's a constant they spend a lot of time at school i it's maybe i'm misinterpreting this or misremembering my own experience but to me it seems like students spend more time with not only school itself, but like extracurricular activities yeah. now. That just seems, it seems like there's more of that than there was when I You're was. You're saying they spend more time with extracurricular? Yes. Okay. That, I, you know, and again, I could be, I could be maybe misremembering this a little bit, but I, we talk about some of our students who are like going into their freshman year of high school and they're doing basketball practice for the basketball season that won't start till November or December and right. they're they're having workouts in July. Yeah. And like when I was in ninth grade, going into ninth grade, you know, I remember my parents made me do a they made me do track, a summer track program, so that I wasn't just sitting at home doing nothing. Right. And it was, you know, so that I was training for football, which I quit like two weeks into the <laughs> season anyways. But but, you know, like now kids are doing like actual like the, the teams get together and do their workouts mm-hmm. at like eighth, ninth grade. And, and then, you know, I feel like, and I think that feeds in, I know we're going to get to it, but some of the issues, kids are so busy. Yes. They really, I mean, yes. students are busy. Yes. Um, especially if they're, I think school in and of itself, mm-hmm. it adds a lot of pressure right. to students, but on top of all of the extracurricular activities in which they are expected to be a part of. Yep. Oh my goodness. You then know, we, as youth pastors, I, maybe you maybe you relate to this. I, I remember there was a time early on when I was doing youth ministry when we'd hear students say, "I'm so busy," and Susan and I would kind of like roll our eyes, you know, and be like, right. "You don't know what busy is. You're just yeah. a teenager. You know, wait till you're an adult and you have right. bills to pay and kids to to take care of." 
and the reality for me is that you know over the last few years i'm i look around i'm like actually you know what they are really busy yeah and sometimes they're busier than i was certainly when in college i mean I'm, you know college we haven't mentioned the ones that have jobs right yes right. Right, right but i mean when i was in, when i was in college it's practically a vacation compared to the experience these kids have in high school and then yeah. and then you know even even into my 20s i mean i was you know i had a full-time job but I, you know i wasn't i could go home and spend my evenings how i wanted and things like that and i they just don't they don't have that downtime. It feels like right. And so yeah, I think on top right. of the added, depending on who the student is, the added pressure of the social media yes. aspect of everything. Right. When they go home. Right. So um. so, anyways, the busyness. We like you said, we, we will touch on that. But we'll, you know, if it's if busyness is one of one of the answers to this question, then then so be it. But what are the biggest challenges then that you think teens face? I, I think the source of a lot of them is identity. I mean, whenever sure. they navigate middle and high school. Which that's one of those universal truths right. across generations. Correct, yeah. correct. And it's something I think we focus a lot on being youth pastors, mm-hmm. you know, when we speak in, in small groups and everything. Definitely. Um, but they try out new things. They try to see what they're good at. Right. Is this who is this part of who I am, uh, part of who they, they are? Is their friends? Who are their friends? Their friends create this identity for them. And so I think a lot of that creates challenges, um, fitting in, yep. you know, can I fit into the right group or, or the group that I think I want to be a part of? I'm not sure. Is, I don't know. Um, you think about social media, I think that feeds into identity mm-hmm. that creates another umbrella of challenges mm-hmm. of fitting in, looking a certain way, uh, yep. saying the right thing, not saying too much, uh, don't be too vulnerable. But be just enough vulnerable to where you, where people think you're authentic. Right. Um, yeah. You know, school. I I do think school is a challenge. The mm-hmm. added pressure. I think there's a lot of students who are, who feel the stress and the pressure of having to perform a certain way when they're at right. school. Get the get the right grades. Mm-hmm. Now that's not all students. Not all students yep. feel that pressure. But many of it them. It wasn't do. me. <laughs> <laughs> but many of them do. I think I did when I was. Yeah. I, I felt that pressure. Yeah. Um, and so that, that takes up a lot of their time. Mm -hmm. I mean, they spend a lot of their time focusing on those things. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we mentioned busyness and I think that's a big challenge as well. You're, you're talking, you're describing that, um, the tension of like when you have, when you're, when you're in middle school or you're in high school and you're especially middle school and you're trying to find your identity uh, we touched on this a couple weeks ago, and in, in, I don't know if it was the episode you were on or the one that Josh was on, but we were talking about how that's that's a again a universal truth mm-hmm. for teenagers. We all, every every person who ever was a teenager, right? Yes, went through a phase of like identity soul searching, mm-hmm. kind of like figuring out who I am, um, sort of at an existential level, but also socially, like who do I, what group do I identify with? you know, who, who am I going to hang out with and all that. But the difference today is that is, that is, that is always being recorded. Yes. Whether it's being recorded and posted on, in photos on social media, or it's literally being recorded on video, like students, you know, I'd be real interested to see if they have a study like this. I've never seen one, but the amount of time that a person is, is recorded, mm-hmm. you know, like they, they are um, on video. Yeah. You know, when I was in middle school, uh, I, I don't. I remember we had those little, those little uh, digital cameras. You know, mm-hmm. um, I remember taking one like on a field trip to New York, and stuff. <laughs> you had your like digital. Or you camera. take the ones, the disposable ones that you can go to Walgreens. Yeah, yeah the disposable cameras too. Yeah. But, but you know, that was that was how we took pictures then, and you yeah. still got them. You still got them printed out, you know. You mm-hmm. went to you went to CVS or whatever and got them. Print. That's a that's an experience teenagers will yeah. never know, you know, like <laughs> teenagers today. You'd go, you'd get them printed out, and you'd go pick them up, and and you had that. And then you know, I remember like in high school, I started hanging out with a group of friends who we made videos of us like doing all kinds of dumb stuff that mm-hmm. that are probably more typical of teenagers today. You know, yeah. we were skateboarding and then all all our pranks that we thought were really funny. Mm-hmm. You know, we we filmed that, but we didn't number one, we didn't have cell phones. So we 
So it was only if somebody brought the video camera. And number two, you didn't have, I remember the first time we watched YouTube, when YouTube was brand new, it, was, it had just become a thing. And you didn't upload videos to YouTube at that point. Like very, like very few people knew how to do that and could do that. So yes, we were filming ourselves, but the only people who were watching those videos were the ones who came over to our yeah. friend's house and watched what we had made right. on the computer. Now, those videos that they they have, they can instantly upload them to social media. Mm -hmm. And so it's like every mistake they make and every uh, every new thing they try goes on the internet forever. Mm -hmm. And so for as far as parents are concerned, I think that's I think a lot of parents know that and are aware of that reality, but that's just the that's part of the battle is how much do I let my kid make those mistakes? with a phone in their hand. Yeah. Because think if we if if we're honest, we know our kids are going to make mistakes when we shouldn't expect them to be perfect or or to not do a lot of the same dumb things we did or even the dumb things we tell them not to do. Mm -hmm. Like they they're, they're going to do that. That's what teenagers do. They're exploring, they're figuring things out. But for parents, I wonder how much they need to wrestle with that. Okay. If I give my kid a smartphone, I'm I'm giving him something to potentially record the mistakes he's going to make and what are the ramifications of that? I think mm -hmm. that's just a big question that parents have to deal with now yeah. that they didn't. Which so which before. creates that constant pressure to perform in, in pretty much every yeah. area of your life. Yep. Um, so that you don't look look that way. That's true. And and anxiety is more prevalent, I think today amongst you know teenagers than it's ever been i don't think i think there's you know tons of studies out there there's very little dispute i think to that but you know for a parent who obviously grew up if they're a parent right now they grew up in a very different world i hope th what you just said offers some level of empathy mm -hmm. you know like hey they're going through all the same things you went through and if you remember how anxious you were growing up it was hard but they have the added pressure of all those things living on yeah. infamy online, you know, that, that they can be recorded. And we've talked about how, how kids will weaponize relationships right. against each other. And if you're, if you open up to somebody, they could use whatever you open up with against them later. Mm -hmm. And that a lot of kids have that experience. So, um, yeah, I think those are, those are definitely huge, uh, huge challenges. Obviously busyness is one. And I think, I think, you know, COVID maybe has given us a little bit of right. a chance to to breathe and go, well, wow, we were really busy before. Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't get that busy again. But so so shifting now a little bit more to like spiritual life. And when, when we talk about kids who are, you know, pursuing a relationship with Jesus, what challenges do you think are most prevalent then among teenagers in that realm? This is more practical. Um but I think about everything we just talked about and the things that are available to... They also live in a world of, of options. Mm -hmm. They live in a world where they have unlimited amount of options on something to do when there's a period of time where, there's, where they're not doing anything. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and so in, in, every, in all of those options create some sort, sort of stimulant, right? something that is fast-paced... Uh, engages them for the entirety of the you know ten minutes, thirty minutes, whatever, and they can move on to something else that cont continues to engage them yeah. quickly uh, in a fast-paced environment. And so this is practical, but I think about like spiritual disciplines, yeah. just uh, prayer, reading the Bible, attending church, uh, even having spiritual conversations with friends, accountability, just things like that. All of that is slow-paced for the most That's a good part. Point. It's so it's slow paced. It oftentimes it's not s super engaging, not as engaging as w what other things are available to them. Not exciting. Right? Uh, yeah, it, it seems a little mundane, mm -hmm. and so they tend to well, I go do this instead. Doesn't have that immediate return on right. investment, right? And so I think gratification. I think that's one. Th that's a that's a struggle. That's a very good um, point. I I think a lot of other people can also relate with that, even sure. as you grow older, because you sure. and I are introduced to all these things sure, and adults, yeah. but. Um, 
I think that's definitely a challenge. Oh yeah, it's, and it's worth um, in, ter- in terms of spiritual disciplines, mm-hmm. just taking time to do these things. That yeah, yeah, and it's worth mentioning it as a challenge, especially for teenagers, because even though, like you said, we experience those challenges a little bit, they are they live in the world where they never knew anything yeah. different. Yeah, and so you know, at least we had a a time when we didn't didn't always live in this fast paced technologically you know, driven world where they do. And, yeah. and so it just, it sort of creates a, a, a world that they don't know any different. And mm-hmm. so that's a good point. I think one of the things that I see, you know, this again goes back to what, what I said at the beginning, which was there are some, some timeless truths about being a teenager right. and then some that are specific to, to generations. And I think one of the more timeless struggles of any teenager who is a Christian is doubt. Yeah. And again, that's not something that adults don't struggle with, Mm -hmm. but I think because of all these other things we're talking about in the world of a teenager, doubt is, is a a bigger and more prevalent part of the, the, the spiritual life of a teenager. And so there's, there's doubt, there's questions about, and you just take that for once, just just a second. You know, I, and bringing back in social media, mm-hmm. something you didn't have, yes. most people didn't have, is now you have these faith, what they're called faith deconstruction videos that go mm-hmm. viral, right? And people mm-hmm. walk, they walk the, whoever's watching the video through the process of them once being a Christian and walking yeah, into atheism so and living this new new yeah. life as an atheist yeah. and how there's so much more freedom at being an et cetera, et cetera. That's yeah. these popular faith deconstruction videos. And yeah. for a team sitting there, Watching several of those, I mean, that can that creates doubt that may have not been there before. Now, I, I want to clarify: we we believe that Scripture holds up, even you know, even with the existence of those videos, right? Um, but that doesn't mean that that doesn't challenge right. students in a way that most people, or their parents, mm-hmm. and and uh, we weren't challenged. Yeah, no, that's so true. I, I remember, you know, in college, again, this is sort of at the rise of YouTube, there was a video. And I, you know, I, it had zeitgeist in the name, but I don't remember the whole thing. Uh, but it was about, it was some guy that did, you know, and now the, the production quality would, would be terrible mm-hmm. compared to videos today. But at the time it was a little bit more interesting, mm-hmm. you know, and, and um, he basically goes through all these points about Christianity and talks about how it, it's just a, it's a total fabrication. It's a myth. It doesn't hold up. Uh, it borrows all of its relevant teachings from other m- older world religions and all that. And it's really, it's not anything new or original or um, unique and, mm-hmm. and that it's just like any other world religion. It's not true. And that video, I remember watching it for me at the time, just, just because of where I, I, I went through a period of doubt for sure. Um, As did I. But, but I, at that point in my life, I was not in that that season. So I watched the video and did not find any of it compelling. Right. I had, I had enough at that point. I was well-versed enough in the information it was addressing to not, not really buy it. A lot of it was very deceitful and, and, um, half truths and things like that. So it was just a, it was, it was a you know propaganda video basically. But I remember when it ended, as soon as the video ended, it was about a 10-minute video or something, and it ended, and I remember th- I might have been sitting with a roommate and said it out loud, but I thought, that's one of the most convincing lies I've ever seen. And that was one video. Yeah. And what you mentioned, those faith deconstruction videos, are like that with more of a personal yes. touch to them. You, you read the comments and... <laughs> And way more prevalent. Yeah, and you read the comments, and they say, um, I, "I was reading several, and it would say, thank you so much. You've given, you've encouraged me to make the same decision in my life, et cetera, And on and on. I mean, many encouraging yeah. comments to that person. Yeah. Hey, I, I, I'm thinking about making the same decision. Yeah. And I just want to be like, don't, don't stop here. Yeah. Don't doubt in isolation. You know, go find someone. Go find someone else. Talk to them. That's not the last word. Right. Um, but and so really what that brings us around to now is for a parent you know we we tried to talk a little bit about you know how to how to navigate and protect your your kids in the digital world and so some of that is you go back to that conversation for this but 
as it, as it pertains to these particular videos and, mm -hmm. and exposure to this kinds of content that we're talking about, for a parent, I think it's important to know, A, that those are very prevalent, they're very popular. Student, kids, teenagers watch those, they, they mm -hmm. share those, they relate to those. Like you said, there's a, tons of kids in the comments, oh, this, the, uh, thank you for saying this, right. I, I can so, I have these doubts too. It feels like the only path is the one you took now mm -hmm. that I have to follow your, right. your footsteps towards, you know, total, you know, rejection of the faith or whatever. You know, for parents, ask the questions that would get at, at those doubts and that might allow room. I think, you know, none of us as, as Christian parents want our kids to walk away from the faith. Right. We, that's one of our biggest fears, I of think, course. Uh, you know, and, uh, and I've talked to parents who would say that, you know, I don't, you know, they're desperately afraid that their child would walk away from the faith or they have or whatever. And so part of what I think our temptation as parents might be is to, to almost want to, not that we necessarily want to be ignorant of our, our child's struggle, but that, you know, if they're not talking about it, then then they must not be struggling with it, and I'm mm -hmm. gonna just I, right. I just want to hold on to that hope that they're not struggling with it. I think for us as as leaders, for parents of teenagers, what would be probably really helpful is to to open the door for questions and doubt for teenagers. Yeah, when pe when when students come to me and they say, "Hey, I'm struggling with doubt," I usually say. It's a great thing that you're asking questions. Yes, too I often do too. we we affirm we, them. Yeah, we yeah. want to affirm asking yes. questions. There's nothing wrong yes, with asking I questions. Yeah. I think doubt is dangerous in isolation. Yes. But someone who's coming and talking to me, I had you take them like just go step out and ask someone these questions. Talk mm -hmm. to someone you trust mm -hmm. that has a different perspective on maybe one of those videos. Yeah. Um, but I think asking questions is a part of loving God with our mind. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to know these these truths, these things about him and, and you know, have gained different perspectives. Sure. On I mean, Paul tells through. us to be ready to give a defense to our faith. And there's right. an intellectual, you know, there's an intellectual aspect to that. Same with uh, allow, your, you know, be renewed by the transforming of your minds. I mean, right. um, I mean, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Had that backwards. Um, so I think, I think for parents, being aware that that, you know, Parents, I think it's easy to be afraid. Uh, oh, no, my kid is on social media, he's on YouTube, mm -hmm. and he's going to be exposed to that. And the reality is, yes, that's true. There are, I would say, there are worse things out there than the faith deconstruction videos that, that you should be worried about. But um, our kids will, we were, our kids will be exposed to things that, that encourage them to doubt their faith other than those videos. I mean, yeah. that's not the only place that their faith is going to be threatened. Right. And and I think it's important, like you said, that we encourage uh, discussion, we encourage curiosity, mm -hmm. we encourage asking the questions that they want to ask. And, and I, you know, I have always said, you talk about what you, you know, your approach when a kid comes to you like that. I've always tried to say, hey, I had, I struggled with doubt mm -hmm. too. And I, and I, doubt is a part of the Christian yeah, they're life. Not alone. Yeah, you, you want them to know they're not alone. And so... It's good to to open the door to those conversations with with our our students and, and parents with their kids and say, hey, if you've ever struggled with doubt, I have too, and that's okay. What can I do to to help you? You know, and right. and the goal is not, hey, let me convince you that it's true, yeah, because that that's off putting, I think, to somebody who's curious and looking for mm -hmm. help. Giving them more resources engaging with the questions they have and and affirming that is a good question yeah wow, that's a really good question not yeah you don't need to worry about that don't you know that's that's not a big deal mm -hmm. here's it, it's simple that whatever um you know i found in a lot of those conversations where a student will go this particular thing seems really complex and it's always felt like it's been oversimplified and it's actually way harder than i thought and rather than trying to re-simplify it for them, it, no, you know what? It's actually sometimes I'll open the doors up and be like, you know what? It's actually more complicated than you ever realized. Yeah. But there's more to be learned in that. When you open that door, it actually opens opens us up to way more understanding about who God is than we ever thought possible. Yeah. Um, I also try to ask the question when I'm first asked a question. 
and I got this from an apologist who I've read several of his books. Mm-hmm. I appreciate him, but um, he says, whenever they ask a question, why is that the one question of all the questions you could have asked yeah. about God? Why did you ask that one? Yeah. Because you get a little bit of the heart motivation behind it. And he tells right. the story about how That's he was point. in the uh, getting his hair cut and the one the girl cutting his hair. Uh, heard him talking about God or something with his buddy who was there, and she said, uh, oh, do you believe in God? He said, sure. And she said, well, why Why is there so much evil in the world? And this apologist, being an apologist, he said he spouted off an answer. He's like, oh, this is an easy one. It's yeah, a right. gimme. And he looked back, and she's crying. And he says, why? And she continues to tell him, you know, some, this really bad thing that happened to her and her family. And so if you would have asked that question, why is that the one question you asked? Yeah. And he would have known... You know, she doesn't need an, an apologetic answer mm-hmm. to this question. She needs a listening ear. Um, and a pastoral answer. And a pastoral yeah. answer, yeah. right. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, getting to the heart of the question is, is always helpful, too. So, you know, as we, as we move in the direction of, of actually parenting, you know, principles and practical answers, what do you think it means when I, when I say parent for discipleship? You know, what does that mean to you, and, and how is that? different maybe from you're walking through the bookstore and there's a section on parenting right just a general say not a not necessarily christian but just a parenting section what's the difference then to you of parenting for discipleship yeah i think parents can do something that no other person can do with their kids obviously but i think about jesus and the way he discipled he traveled with his disciples he ate with them they spent the night in the same home he spent all day with them they observed him that's kind of a a parent to it, you know, their child, and right. so I think about when you parent for discipleship, it's you're you're discipling through experiences, mm-hmm. through uh, demonstration, through the way you speak to your kid, yeah. um, the just just the way you are living out your faith. Mm-hmm. Um, discipleship is, you know, a disciple is a, a, learner, a learner, but an yeah. imitator as well. Mm-hmm. You know, someone. And so discipleship is helping someone, I think, to trust and follow Jesus. And as a parent, you, you have this opportunity to do that anytime you're mm-hmm. with your, your student. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's this ongoing process yeah. of walking with them, uh, teaching them when it's appropriate, right. um, but also just living it out, demonstrating yep. it, demonstrating trust, demonstrating your own fears to your children, but talking about how you're yeah. still going to trust in Jesus in the midst yeah. of this moment, not pretending like struggles don't exist, or you outgrow them. Right, or you outgrow them, yeah. but showing that even in the midst of them, you're trusting, you're trusting God. No, you make a great point. I think that that reminds me of how, you know, when we, ha- we have our, our leaders in our ministry who lead small groups with our mm-hmm. students, and, and um, something I say pretty much every year to my leaders is, I don't need people who can answer every question a student has. I need people who are humble enough who, when they don't know the answer, they can say, I'm not sure, yeah. but I'd love to help you find an answer to that. Yeah. Um, and then walk with them through that rather than shutting them down because it's not a good question or because, you know, you're a know-it-all and you have the answer mm-hmm. and you just give them the information and expect that to satisfy the curiosity. I think you're what you're describing as a the, the disciple is a learner and the, you know, imitating and things mm-hmm. like that speaks to that principle. And it's, it's so true. We, we, you know, and, and Josh loves to talk about this with, when we talk about the digital world yeah. stuff, we don't just tell our kids how to do stuff. We show them by, by doing it ourselves and, and living it out. You know, you talk about how Jesus modeled this. I think, just the the whole idea of a God who was up in heaven and could have stayed there and mm-hmm. given commands from on high and said, hey, this is what I expect you to do. Do this. Don't question me. Do as I say. Um, you know, he could have been that God. Mm-hmm. And yet he was a God who said, I'm going to come down there and I'm going to live among you and I'm going to suffer with you. And I you. think there's even a third step. You said, tell them show them, but I think there's also this aspect of involving them in the thing, mm. you know, involving them mm-hmm. in the thing you're doing. Which again, yeah. how does, you know, God can do anything without us, right? Right, yeah. He, he could literally, he, I mean, anything we talk about doing as a church, as as the, the the global church, the local church, whatever, you know, and, and accomplishing the will of God is like, he could do it without us, mm-hmm. but he invites us to do it with him. Yeah. And I've always, you know, 
a, a long time ago, I think a friend gave me the analogy of like, you know, God, God's like a dad who goes out and works on his car and knows how to fix the engine, what's wrong with it. And we're like his, you know, four-year-old kid who walks out and says, can I help with fix the mm. car? And he's like, here, take a wrench. And it's <laughs> like, can he, does he need the four-year-old's help? Of course he doesn't need the four-year-old's right. help. Is the four-year-old really doing anything? I mean, maybe he's going to find something that the four-year-old can do. Yeah. But ultimately, the experience is about the relationship. Yeah. And, and that's where trust is built. That's where connection is built. And so I think, for, good. I think for parents, that's the idea we, we want to model. And when we talk about parenting as, you know, uh, in, a, in a biblical sense, parenting the way God wants us to parent, we follow his model, which is that. It's, it's all those things we just said of, of not just teaching. He, he teaches, but he also um, shows and, and lives among us and, and leads by example, and yeah. then and then involves us in things that we don't necessarily have the agency we might imagine we have. So we give our kids responsibility, and we go, you know what? I could do this without you. And I've had to learn that. You know, I've got a I've got a three year old daughter, <laughs> and in terms of getting meaningful work done quickly, she, yeah, <laughs> she is quite incapable. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I, you know, she'll all, but, but here's the thing. She always comes up and says, can I help? And my, my temptation in a, in a moment where I'm trying to get something done is let me just do it myself. Yeah. And I have to catch myself constantly and go, no, no, whatever task you're doing right now is not so important that you can't stop and let her quote unquote help <laughs> knowing that it's not going to help a lot. Um, but that's not the point. I think it was Suze who was actually telling me y- y'all were helping or Y'all wanted Elliot to help do the dishes, and mm-hmm. and Susan was talking about I could do this so much faster. You give the plate to her, and she's yep. delicately putting it in there, taking her time. Yeah, um, but it's purposeful. It is. It it's purposeful, and it it absolutely won't accomplish the task at hand, at least not in any kind of timely manner. But the bigger picture, the bigger payoff is so much more. And mm-hmm. so, um, so yeah, I mean, we we we're just defining even that idea of parenting as uh, for discipleship. But I, I, you know, I kind of, we've touched on a little bit of what, what I'm going to ask next, but I want to talk to you personally about, Mm -hmm. you know, you're a new parent. Uh, Millie is what? Five. She is. Let's see. What's today? Okay. She will be five months and five days. Okay. Yeah. So So. she's about five months old and obviously that's really young, but, Mm -hmm. but that y'all are, uh, y'all are new parents and I'm sure starting to think about, lots yeah. of lots of things there in front of you and so you know when you think about Millie you think about goals that you have as a parent goals for her um what what does that mean to you what does that look like what are some of your spiritual goals or, or your your goals in her spiritual development yeah and I would dad? even call them prayers because everything I'm about to talk about are my I, one of the best pieces of advice I've gotten as a parent is begin praying for everything you wish mm. for them when they're little bitty mm. as soon as they're born mm. And so I'm praying for Millie when she's a teen and when she's older yeah, and for yeah. her future and um, currently, good. you know, for things. But just as she gets older, good. you know, my prayers for her is first and foremost that she'll come to a place of faith in Jesus. Right. I mean, that she will believe in Jesus. Yeah. I mean, that's my, that's my first prayer for Millie. Absolutely. And following that is that she would have a trust in Jesus where she has a personal, she understands that she has a personal and intimate relationship mm-hmm. with Jesus, that he's trustworthy, right. that he's with her, um, that when she's walking through struggles, and I'll even, in my prayers, I'll talk about struggles with her parents or with her <laughs> friends, but she'll know that she can trust you in the middle of those. Yeah. And then it's also that she will uh, demonstrate and express joy, uh, the joy of Jesus mm. anywhere she is. The, the, now I'm just sharing it's personally, good. these yeah. are truly my three hopes for her. Is number, first and foremost, her trust, trust in yeah. Jesus. Um, but second of all, that trust being carried into her sanctification just as she grows, um, this just trust that mm-hmm. knows no bounds and uh, and that she finds joy in her relationship with yeah. Jesus and it's good. Um, demonstrates it. That's good. I think those are great goals uh, or prayers, I should say. And and um, yeah, I think I think as parents, we all whether we whether we talk about them out loud or not, we have we do have ideas about what we want for our kids, goals that we have for them spiritually. And I think, I think it's, it's helpful to consider those things and maybe discuss them, not maybe to discuss them. You know, if, if, 
you know, you're a, a married two parent household to discuss it with your, your spouse and what does that look like? And then because you don't accomplish goals that you don't have any sort of plan yeah. for, you know yeah. what I mean? And That's Susan, true. I have a lot of conversations about, you know, I'll get home, <laughs> especially right now in the season we're in, I'll get home from work and she'll go, Elliot, she did this today. This is the 10th time <laughs> in a row she's done this. We've got to address this. And then we talk about, okay, what do we need to do to address it? Um, what's the cause? What can we do? Huh. You know, and, and having conversations like what's the game plan, you know, you, you again, you're just never going to get, you're never going to accomplish something by accident. Yeah. You, nothing meaningful anyways. And so I think that's important is it's good to, advice for me. <laughs> <I've gotta> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and to have, have some sort of a game. Now I'm not saying we're not, I'm not saying we're perfect at it or that right. we're even great at it, but that we recognize like, Hey, there's some things we know need that we need to do or do differently. So we got to talk about them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have these, these goals, what we want for our kids. And I think, in terms of spiritual development, and I think that's the most important thing that we, mm-hmm. we can think about with our kids. I think you you recognize that you don't control your child's destiny, mm-hmm. right? Their spiritual destiny. Um, you and then when we talked about this, I touched on this, I think with Josh, and then this came from a, a class I was taking in seminary last semester, and we talked about how parenting is it's not about results, it's about doing what's wise that sets you up sets your children up for the best chance at Mm. success. I mean, you don't, you can never look at a child and how they turn out and go based on whether or not they were quote unquote a success, then their parents did a good job. I mean, some kids will have great parents and still make bad decisions. Some kids will have terrible parents and still somehow find ways to make good decisions. I mean, we don't necessarily assume that everything we do right is going to have the intended effect, but it's like the the wisdom literature in Proverbs that what's being described is the best way mm-hmm. to live life and the and the best chance to have the results that you're wanting. And so as parents, we just recognize, look, I don't have control over every little thing my child does and I shouldn't try. I just have control over how I parent and I should I should take that responsibility very seriously. So hmm. I think that's really helpful to remember. Yeah, that's good. Because we so like I said, we so badly want our kids to come to faith in Jesus and to stay in the fold, and we don't. We you know, and by that I, I simply mean that they would continue going to church the rest of their lives, not that they would stay saved. I mean, we believe that if you're saved, you're always saved. But um, but yeah, you know, just those are those are things that we want, but we have to relinquish control or the the illusion of control and say I I'm going to do my very best, knowing that at the end of the day, this child is like anything else in this life, doesn't belong to me, belongs to the Lord. So, um, okay, so are there anything, you know, we talked about our personal thoughts and our goals. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you think just principles that parents trying to disciple their kids can uh, maybe implement? And, what you know, whether that's, you think about conversations to have, um, Actually, before we get to that, and I, I do want to get back to that question. One, okay. one more thing, I want to ask you: um, where do you where do you think youth ministry fits into this whole picture? Yeah, because we've had conversations. Yeah, I, to say, I think we have talked about this in the past, and what we sometimes think parents expect mm-hmm. of us. Um, so, where, where do you think youth ministry fits into the, the spiritual development of a teenager? It's a small part of their spiritual development. Um, so you're looking for a pay decrease right now, is what you're saying. <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> uh, no, it's in regards to how much time they're spending elsewhere. The time they get with us, the time we get to spend with them chatting, you know, in small groups, lunches, large group, whatever we're doing, it's just a small part of their week. Mm-hmm. They're spending the majority of, majority of their times mm-hmm. in their homes with their pa- pa- parents or friends. Um and youth ministry is good. It's valuable. I'm uh, glad you think that. As a youth <laughs> pastor, I'm glad that you think it's valuable. But it, it's not the main. It's not the main location where students will uh, grow spiritually. It's not the main yeah. source of their spiritual development. Um, it can be a big part of some of a student's life. It was a big part of my life and mine. I loved youth ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I looked up to my pastors. I went to them when I was struggling. Um, yep. But it's not the the 
main source, right? Um, so I think one of the things that you and I both have always seen in in students is, you know, there are certainly exceptions to every rule, and so I'm not saying that this is true across the board, but the trend is, as the parents go, so go the kids, mm -hmm. and so, you know, we have these students who will come. You know, we probably think of plenty of examples of students who come to church because their parents make them, but mm -hmm. don't don't engage with them at church, don't make it an experience that they all do together. Um, and maybe even that, you know, there's a lot of times where one parent comes to church and the other one stays at home and the parent that comes will bring the kid. And as soon as they get their license or they graduate from high school, they don't go to church anymore. Why? Because they learn that from their parents. They yeah. learn what, what they value from, from their parents. And again, there are exceptions to that for sure. But in both both directions, but we we see that all too often of like this kid comes really frequently as a middle schooler and early in high school, and then they just sort of drop off the face of the earth around sophomore year of high school, and we go, what happened? And we look at their parents, and we're like, I guess we could have seen that coming, you mm -hmm. know. And so, I think to me, that's that's something that's for any parent considering what they expect from the youth ministry, I think that I always needs to be acknowledged. It's like you can drop your kid off at the at the youth ministry event and we're gonna do everything we can to invest in them, hopefully make a positive impact, help them to trust Jesus more. Yeah. But at the end of the day, our influence is like you said, small compared to a yeah. parent's influence. A small part of discipleship takes place within the church walls. Yes. Um and I, and we, we talked about this, but there is this, oftentimes, they th they expect a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. They expect this to be, you know, the the main source mm -hmm. of spiritual spiritual development. Sure. They're not prioritizing it elsewhere. Um, I mean, every youth so, pastor has the experience of, like, feeling like a parent goes, hey, here, I'm going to drop off my kid for, for instant, yeah. you know, for, for discipleship daycare, and then I'll right, pick them up. Right, right. Right. And so while they're here at church, you do that. When they're at home, they'll do everything else. And I want to clarify, because I know parents are asking the question, and I know they value value this. I will value it when Millie gets older. Oh, yeah. I yeah, think yeah. it is incredibly valuable. Oh, I want my kids to go to for, youth ministry. No, no, no. Incredibly valuable for kids to have relationships with spiritual leaders who are yes. not their parents, yes. right? Totally, and so if totally. they find that at church, that's... Wonderful. I, I mean, I hope yeah. they find it at church, yep. and they and I would expect that. Um, but they can also find it other places, sure. no matter where. Sure. I do think it is so important mm -hmm. for students to find those people in their lives that can walk mm -hmm. alongside them who are not their parents, mm -hmm. uh, who come alongside their parents in that. So. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, so fi final thing, we'll close on this, but going back to the question of what, what are some maybe principles uh, that you feel like a parent can hold on to implement when it comes to, to parenting for discipleship mm -hmm. and any, any kind of conversations, you know, traditions, habits, something like that to, to sort of build into their lives and their, their integrate into their parenting strategy. Yeah. Um, I think one question is just to ask the question, what are your biggest questions about God? <laughs> you know, just ask them that question. How about we're, we're, having conversations at all about God? Yes. Cause that is, is, yeah, that, that, can't start can't there. Be assumed. Mm -hmm. It can't be assumed. You're right. Yeah. And so I, because we're talking about doubt and that being a yeah. challenge for students today, um, then enter into that with them to see what's yeah. on their mind. Yeah. Uh, and that, like you said, that begins with any conversations about God right. in general. And that may look like, you know, you go home for lunch after church on Sunday and you just ask them their thoughts on uh, what y'all listen to together. Mm -hmm. um, or that's asking them when they get home, you know, on a Wednesday night, hey, what y'all learn, learn tonight? But it goes much deeper than that, yeah. right? Uh, I think about the the times they spend with their students when there's any sort of downtime. Right. It it doesn't always have to look like, um, hey, sit down and read the Bible with me. Mm -hmm. Right. It could just, hey, come do this thing out here with me. And while you're doing something fun, you're entering into their world. You ask. That's a good place to ask some good questions when you have their attention. Yeah. Uh, you get to do something fun with them. Uh, you know, I remember my dad. He took me to main event, and we had a blast mm -hmm. one day, and 
during that time, he had a lot of great conversations with me, and it meant a lot to me. Sure. Uh, but he got me away from the house, away yep. from my routine. We did something fun, something that I enjoyed, uh, and I opened up about yeah. some things with him. I think um, you're, I've always thought your dad is a great um, example of all of what we're talking mm-hmm. about. Somebody worth shout out, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and somebody worth you know asking questions if you've got them. Anthony Lavelle's a great. Yeah, I love Anthony and and really admire his uh, his parenting, but um, except for how you turned out, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think what you were just saying reminded me of that saying: people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. Yeah, I think for parents who want to have those conversations with their kids, there still is a level of like having to earn it a little bit. There's the the old young life phrase, earning the right to speak into a, a kid's life. Mm-hmm. You know, even parents have, have to earn that a little bit. I think they, uh, they start with way more capital than, mm-hmm. than anyone else. But the point I'm making is there are parents who can, could, be so focused on the spiritual conversations and and giving their kids the information yes. that they fail to make it relational. Yeah, and I I think that's probably more rare than the other mistakes we're inclined to make. Mm-hmm. But it's still possible that I think we could be so focused on I want to make sure you know the right things about God, and I want to yeah. make sure that I'm always you know we are always sitting down and just reading the Bible together. And it's like yeah, hey, if you're if all you're doing is you're saying our spiritual conversations and the, the spiritual aspect of my parenting is about making my kids come sit down here and we mm-hmm. read the Bible and we have these intentional conversations, then that you're going to, I think, lose the connection that's only possible when you do, like you said, meeting them where they're at, mm-hmm. like going and doing what they're interested in and engaging in their world and showing them, hey, I want to, I want to, I want to see what you're doing. I want to I want to go where you are and I want to you know try and learn about your interests and stuff because I want you to know that I I love you and yes. I care about you and I want to I want to see you, you know, grow and succeed in those other areas. But you know what? The most important thing is this. Can I talk to you about this and can yeah. can we have those conversations? But and those you, are all active, right? You're actively oh, yeah, doing something. Sure. Yeah. But I also think there's some things that are passive. You know, just the demonstrate how you love and treat Mm. your student's mom, right? Mm. I'm speaking as a husband, how I treat and love Holly Mm. in front of Millie. Just all those are passive things that they're observing, you know, as you're discipling them in a passive way. Yeah. Um, But yeah, no, that's a good point. So, um, well, we'll, uh, we'll continue this, uh, another episode with, with Josh next week, but Caleb, thanks for, jumping on yeah thanks for having me. me this week and uh hope this is an encouragement to parents out there and again uh for anybody who has questions either about today's episode or questions they'd like to submit for future episodes you can do so at uh our email address for the podcast is exchange at gracechurch.com exchange at gracechurch.com so uh thanks again for joining us hope you guys have a great week and we'll uh, see you next time